This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. This is Professor Mark Greenbaum. I'm a professor at Suffolk University Law School, and I teach in the area of labor and employment law. What I wanted to discuss today was a Supreme Court decision known as Thompson versus North American Stainless. Now, what Thompson involved was the so-called anti-retaliation provisions of Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And quite typically, those cases involve people who are fired, transferred, or demoted after they filed a charge with the EEOC, have given evidence to the EEOC, or have made an internal complaint to their employer. What we say in sort of the jargon is that they have engaged in protected conduct. Those cases have been very important because it turns out, at least based on the most recent jury verdicts, that it's easier to win a retaliation case than it is a substantive discrimination case. So that the importance of retaliation claims has been enhanced markedly in the last three years. Yesterday's case took the law one step further. It involved a situation where a female employee filed a charge with the EEOC against her employer. Coincidentally, her employer also employed her fiancé. The employer allegedly did not do anything to her, but they instead fired the fiancé, even though he had done nothing. And the question before the court was whether the firing of the fiancé who had not engaged in any of the conduct deemed protected by Title VII violated the anti-retaliation provisions. And surprisingly for a court which has not looked favorably upon the claims of employees, the court answered the question in the affirmative and did so unanimously. And what the court said basically was that under Title VII, the test of whether somebody has been a victim of retaliation is whether whatever happened to them would dissuade other people from filing charges with the EEOC or engaging in other forms of protected conduct. And the court said certainly that if you filed a charge, your fiancé co-employee would be fired. That is the very kind of action that would tend to make those people hesitant to file an EEOC charge. Now, like many such cases, it raises more questions than it answers. Most notably, we would think a spouse, a fiancé, a close relative would fall within the zone of protection. Uh, what we don't know is how much further the court will move that line, and the court said it will have to be determined on a case-by-case basis. But I think that putting aside those questions, the case is important for other reasons. First, not only does it broaden the scope of retaliation claims under Title VII, but because the parallel provisions in the Americans with Disabilities Act, the Age Discrimination and Employment Act, and the Family and Medical Leave Act are very much like those in Title VII, it certainly suggests that the court's liberal treatment of retaliation claims would be carried over to those statutes. I think the same would hold true under parallel state statutes. But where I think the real potential for this case lies is in the fact that as traditional employment law has evolved, 
and we have had so-called public policy claims, which include other things, retaliation against somebody for having engaged in conduct protected by other statutes, or so-called whistleblower claims, that the state and federal courts are likely to be influenced by the Thompson decision and to recognize a similarly broad definition of what constitutes actionable retaliation under those statutes. The same could be said to be true under the so-called Sarbanes-Oxley Act. So what you have, I think, and what makes, I think, this case worthy of a podcast is a significant decision of the court under Title VII that has, I think, multiple ramifications under other federal statutes, other state statutes, and under the various bodies of state and federal common law that govern the employment relationship. I guess the biggest lesson is never give up in the sense that many people would have been discouraged from pursuing this case to the Supreme Court, given the fact that the claims were rejected in the lower federal courts, and that you know this court does not have the reputation of being employee-friendly. So the fact that somebody had the fortitude to pursue it, despite the seeming obstacles to its success, says a lot about what the duty of vigorous and zealous representation means. The second thing is that as much as we like to stereotype the Supreme Court, they're not always as predictable as we would like them to be. The third is to be creative in the formation of your legal arguments. That is, even though on the surface this was not a case where somebody had engaged in protected activity, there is a common sense notion to the belief that if you can fire somebody's spouse or fiancé, because the other person filed a charge, that it would hurt the very kinds of people that were trying to protect under the statute. So in many ways, the successful pursuit of this claim is a real testament to the role that common sense can and should play in the development and the analysis of relevant legal principles. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.